Well, you can uh, grab your Bible if you're not already doing so and turn back to Proverbs chapter 1 as we uh, continue our study, uh, verse-by-verse study in the book of Proverbs. And uh, we've uh, not gotten very far because we've stumbled upon really what is the, the bedrock foundation of the book of Proverbs. It's this little phrase that we'll see throughout the Bible. Uh, it is uh, numerous in the book of Proverbs. And that's the little phrase, the fear of the Lord. Now, uh, let's just see how well you've been paying attention these last weeks, okay? It's pop quiz time in Sunday school. Now, you may, you may want to abandon this Sunday school class for an easier one because uh, uh, of the pop quizzes here. But anyway, um, what do you remember? What have we learned about the fear of the Lord so far? Let's, let's just review a little bit. What is the fear of the Lord? It's deep reverence. Okay, what else? What's that? Terror. It's terror. Okay, yeah, the, the word, remember the word has two sides to it. Uh, like, like in English, uh, fear in the Hebrew text can, can have different connotations depending on the context. Uh, on the one side, we have this overwhelming terror or dread. Uh, it, it's, it's sort of the, oh my, I'm going to die sort of experience. And then, as Nick said, the other side of it is this deep reverence and awe. It, it's, it's, um, the word awesome would be a good translation in the older sense. Not, not awesome like I went to Six Flags, but awesome like I'm overwhelmed with amazement. And um, so those are the two sides of the fear of the Lord. Okay, good. What else? What else do you remember? This is the part where you contribute. Right, exactly. Very good. Yeah, remember John Murray, the the, the great theologian. Remember his remember his quote: uh, "The essence of impiety, meaning the 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 essence of what it means to be ungodly, is to not fear God when you have reason to fear God." And since we're all born into sin, and we're all born alienated from God, and and, and not just alienated, we're we're born uh, in rebellion against the God who made us that all of us, from the moment we come into this world, have great cause to fear God. And, and one of the expressions of our fallenness is that we don't fear God, we don't see Him as a threat when He really is. Uh, that's uh, Romans chapter 3. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, almost like, um, it's almost like a small child walking out, getting closer to the highway because, you know, she sees the the, slush, the snow cone stand on the other side of the road and she's walking out onto the highway and she has no idea that there's trucks and cars coming at 55 miles an hour and, and she's about to... That, that, that's what fallen man is like. We're just oblivious to the danger. And, uh, and that's part of the problem. That, that's part of what the gospel overcomes is is to show us that danger, first of all, to show us the threat of God's judgment and punishment, and then to call us to God's rescue plan in the Lord Jesus and in the gospel. Okay? Good. You're doing great. What else? What else do you remember? Now, that's pretty good, because they haven't been here for a month. Okay? And he's answering the questions that you guys aren't answering. So, uh, that that's... <laughs> that is that is correct. Yeah, yeah. Let's look at our text. Uh, Proverbs chapter one. Are you there? 
uh, here's the verse that we've stopped at. Okay, and this this echoes what Dwayne just said. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now think about that. Is that saying that if you're not a God-fearer, you can't learn anything? That all our efforts at kindergarten and third grade and learning how to work on your car and taking apart your toilet and all, all the, you know, when you YouTube something to figure out how to fix the appliance in your, you know, is, is that what that's saying? That, that all of that is, is vanity because you don't fear God. Is that what it's saying? You look confused. This is not a trick question. Is that what it's saying? Okay, I got a couple of no's. Okay, if that's not, if you're saying we can learn stuff without fearing God, then what does it mean that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge? Or is that why you're here? You want me to answer that question? Okay, so maybe it's maybe it's talking about two types of knowledge, and this is talking about godly knowledge. Okay, I like that. What else? What else could it be? It's not saying you can't know anything unless you fear God. What it's saying is you cannot know anything rightly, truly, to, to what end that information is supposed to help you with unless you fear the Lord. You, you can't do... Would you agree with me that, that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God? The Bible says that, right? So in every pursuit, every endeavor, every education, every project, every work, every opportunity we have, we're supposed to be glorifying God in some way. In other words, we put our knowledge toward a particular motive and goal, don't we? We put our knowledge to work to honor and glorify God. And if you don't build knowledge on the fear of the Lord, you do not know how to use that knowledge properly. That's his point. It, it, it's, um, it's the brilliant scientist who comes up with all of these um, uh, interventions and medications and, and procedures and things that help humanity. But because he doesn't use it as an opportunity to bring God glory, it's a wasted opportunity, for example. And I'll, I'll read you a, a quote from uh, Jerry Bridges' book, The Joy of Fearing God, here that puts that on display. But, okay, let's, let's jump in here. That's a good review. I'm glad at least some of you have been paying attention, so that's really good, okay? So what does it mean? Um, remember the terror fear and the awe fear? You guys have alluded to that. The two ways the Bible uses the word fear. And it's the two ways that we see the fear of the Lord presented. Terror because of danger, awe that leads to honor, love, and worship. And uh, we've seen that the fear of the Lord is a theme of Solomon's writing. Solomon is the main author behind our book Proverbs as well as Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. And as you see, from all those verses there, the fear of the Lord is definitely on his mind. This is something that is a big idea as he picks up his pen and as he writes. Uh, the definition, if you weren't here last week, uh, this is important and it's worth repeating uh, from uh, our former pastor, Rick Holland. Uh, he said that the fear of the Lord means considering him dangerous when sin is present and awesome when sin is forgiven. So what's the criteria that determines whether the fear of the Lord results in fear and terror or the fear of the Lord results in awe and worship? And the answer is, what side of the cross are you on? That's, the, that's what determines it. And one of the problems, one of the reasons people don't see their need for Christ is they don't think they're in any danger. They don't think there's any threat. And so part of... 
part of our opportunity or part of our role in ministering the gospel is not just to say, you know, Jesus died on the cross for your sin. That's great. But, but the first half of the gospel says, God made you in our sin. We rebelled against him and there is a judgment coming that you ought to fear. And when we begin to understand that we are on the wrong side of a cosmic battle between the God of the universe and all that is wicked in the world, and we're on the side of wickedness, and here the Lord of hosts come, it comes in his battle array with his gavel uh, to, to set up judgment on all of humanity at the end of time, and that there is a heaven and a hell, and those are the only two options, that creates occasion for the gospel to now make sense. The gospel does not make any sense if you do not believe that God is a threat to you. But the gospel becomes a glorious and wonderful gift if you recognize that it is the only way to escape the wrath of God that is to come. So in, in, in gospel ministry, we need to, we need to really remember both sides of the fear of the Lord because both of them speak to our ministry. Okay? So, so where are you in terms of your relationship with the cross? The fear of God should evoke overwhelming terror or amazing love and worship if you're forgiven. Okay? Now we looked last time about what the fear of the Lord looks like and let, let's just throw some of these up here by way of review and then we'll jump back into where we left off. We saw, first of all, that fearing God is a choice. And, and what that means is uh, Solomon is going to argue in this book that you have to choose the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> if you take your hands off the steering wheel of your life, which way does your life gravitate toward? And Solomon says, especially if you're a parent or you're training and ministering to people, as uh, this book is largely uh, has the thought of parenting in view, a parent sitting down and ministering and shepherding his children, if you take your hands off the wheel, we go the way of our nature. So part of parenting and part of uh, learning to grow as a Christian is saying, I have to be committed to learning the fear of the Lord. And we're going to talk about that today. How do you fear the Lord? If you say, well, I don't fear the Lord as much as I should, and I want to grow, how do you do that? We're going to talk about that later on. But it's a choice. You have to make a choice. And the book of Proverbs is saying, make the right choice. Number two, fearing God means hating evil. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And and so when we think about why, why do I not care as much about honoring God with my life as I should. Why do I, I not live in that fear of the Lord where I'm seeking to honor Him and worship Him and love Him in every moment? Why is that? And Solomon says, let me tell you part of the problem. We love our sin too much. And when we love sin, our fear of God decreases. And conversely, when we learn to hate sin, the fear of God increases. So that, that's one of the ways that we develop the fear of God is to cultivate a growing hatred for evil. There's a lot of evil in the world. Have you noticed this? Have you read the newspaper this morning? And, and, and the Christian looks at the evil in the world and says, that is wrong. That is an abomination to God. But even more personally, the Christian looks at the residual evil in his own heart and says, I hate that. And I want to hate that even more. And, and, and there, there are those times in our, in our quiet time with God, the meditation on the Word of God, our prayer time, when we're, we're crying out to God saying, will you help me to see sin for all of its ugliness? Will, will you help me to grow in my hatred of sin? 
And when we do that, we learn to fear the Lord even more. Number three, fearing God motivates to obedience. Remember we saw that in Nehemiah? That Nehemiah had opportunity to take advantage of the people as the previous ungodly governors uh, were doing by taxing. And when Nehemiah took the role of governor, he said, you know what? I'm not going to take advantage of the people. Even though it would be easy to get away with, even though the precedent is set in previous administrations, I am not going to take advantage of the people by doing something that is wrong, even though I'm the governor and I can do that. Why does he do that? The text told us in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 15, because he feared God. And so the fear of God motivated his obedience. And that, that's really important, isn't it? What is, think about this, what is going to motivate you to do the right thing when no one else is around? What is it? It has to be something in here as opposed to something out there, right? Because there's, there's no one around. And the thing that is in here that motivates obedience, according to the scriptures, is a growing fear of the God. In in that moment, when you have opportunity to do something ungodly, you will not because you fear God more than you love your sin. And that's, that's one of the wonderful benefits of the fear of God. And then the last thing, fearing God is the source of godly confidence. We talked about that. Uh, We we don't... uh, We don't need self-esteem to make us feel better. What we need is a growing God esteem. We need to put our confidence in God and be confident in Him and not confident and not putting uh, confidence in ourselves, uh, but in God instead. Okay, so that's where we've come. Uh, If you're just joining us, that's the Jet Tour review, which leads us to our next question. What does the fear of the Lord produce? What does the fear of the Lord produce? Well, number one, the fear of the Lord forms the foundation of wisdom and knowledge. If you've got Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 in front of you, let's just look at that again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And if you just turn the page, uh, a couple uh, pages to chapter 9, verse 10, we'll see a very similar statement with a word change. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. Are you there? The fear of the Lord is also the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And and uh, notice, notice in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, that gives us a little bit of a hint to what the fear of the Lord is, because the fear of the Lord in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, is paralleled with the knowledge of the Holy One. That's not knowledge like, okay, God's merciful and He's loving, His attributes, I mean, that's true. But it, it's, it's talking about the knowledge of the Holy One in terms of a personal relationship. It's a difference between saying, I know about um, President Obama. I know some things about him. Well, that's different than saying, I know my son, Alan, right? There's a personal relationship. And what this is saying is the fear of the Lord amounts to a personal relationship with God. That's what it means. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One. A personal knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So we see from this text that the fear of the Lord, that that attribute that should characterize us as believers, is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. 
Uh, knowledge involves the ability to view information from the right perspective and with the proper end in mind. So, so let, let's think about this. It's very, very practical. Okay, We're talking about elections. We're talking about politics. We're talking about decisions you're going to make in your life and family. You're thinking about, do, I, do, I, do we do soccer this year or not? You know, profound theological questions like that, right? Or, you know, do I take this job or do I sell my house or do I, um, how do I minister to this family? And, and how do I think about um, when, when something happens uh, and in society, you know, a, a, a cultural problem, a, a, you know, police, uh, is, are, there's a shooting for police officers or, you know, how do I think about when I read the paper in the morning? And the answer is you need a Christian worldview. You need a biblical worldview to know how to think about the world around us. And what Solomon is saying here is that the ability to view information from the right perspective and with the proper end in mind only comes when you come to fear the Lord. In other words, you can't read the newspaper and think about it the way God wants you to until you come to understand who God is and to grow in your relationship with Him. Notice, um, and we don't have time to look over there, but just jot down these two verses, 1 Corinthians 8.1 and Titus 1.1. 1 Corinthians 8.1 and Titus 1.1. Okay, 1 Corinthians 8.1, Paul says, knowledge puffs up. So knowledge makes you arrogant, is what he's saying. But love edifies. And then Titus, Paul tells Titus in Titus chapter 1 verse 1, there is a knowledge that leads to godliness. Now, so think with me. What is the difference? If, if knowledge can make you a prideful person or knowledge can make you an arrogant person, what's the determining factor? What, what takes the knowledge that you have and steers you toward godliness or takes the knowledge you have and steers you toward being arrogant and prideful? Because the Bible says knowledge can do both of those things. So we're, we're, we're wondering what, what's the... <laughs> I'm thinking like a switch track with a, with a, with a train, right? What, what, what's the mechanism that turns the track one way or the other? And the answer of this verse is whether or not you fear the Lord. If you fear the Lord, your knowledge will lead you to godliness. If you don't fear the Lord, what you know will lead you to be arrogant. That's what he means by the fear of the Lord is the beginning of... Of knowledge. Notice also in Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That involves the application of knowledge of life, but in a strong moral sense. This is precisely when we're thinking about the November elections and Pastor Terry's sermon, and we're saying, how on earth is a Christian supposed to think about the election? Well, frankly, in one word, that's an answer of wisdom. The answer to what Christians are to do in this election amounts to wisdom. It's biblical knowledge applied to life, which is exactly what we have before us. So, do you want to know how to vote? Do you want to know how to be a part of the political process? Or maybe you shouldn't be a part of the political process. As you analyze all that, what is going to help you? The Bible's answer is you need to come to know the fear of the Lord. Because in the fear of the Lord, that leads to wisdom. Listen to Jerry Bridges. Wisdom in Proverbs is more concerned with righteous living than shrewd judgment. The practical is never divorced from the ethical. And that's important because wisdom in the Bible always has a moral component to it. It's not just, well, hey, I know how to make investments that that bring me money. Well, that, that, that may be part of wisdom. 
But in the Bible, it's, I know how to make decisions where God is honored with the holding up of His Word and the holding up of His character. Okay? So what does it, what does it mean to be, to, that the, um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Listen to Jerry Bridges in his book, uh, The Joy of Fearing God. Uh, Bridges writes, uh, uh, Bridges just uh, died, just went to be with the Lord just a few months ago. Um, many of you know that and have gleaned from his writings. Several years ago, this is Bridges writing, several years ago I read Evolution, A Theory and Crisis by Michael Denton, an Australian physician who does research in microbiology. In my opinion, his book is one of the most brilliant and devastating critiques of the theory of evolution available today. Dr. Denton did his homework well. From a number of perspectives, he makes a convincing case that animal life as we see it today, and particularly the human body and brain, must be the product of specific design by an infinitely intelligent designer rather than the result of mere time and chance. And as you read through this book, this is Bridges talking, as you read through this book, you keep waiting for Dr. Denton to make a seemingly obvious statement that this intelligent designer must be God. Instead, the book ends with this remarkable sentence. Quote, The mystery of mysteries, the origin of new beings on earth, is still largely as enigmatic as when Darwin Darwin set sail on the beagle. The end. The book ends. Okay. Now, Bridges asked this very question. He's, he's, he's dumbfounded by this book, right? So Bridges asked this really important question. Why would a brilliant scientist come to such a conclusion? The reason, according to Bridges, is found in Solomon's words that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Dr. Denton has amassed a formidable amount of information and makes a strong case against evolution. Listen to this. But he is unable to bring his reasoning to a successful conclusion because his knowledge is incomplete. It does not take into account God. So Bridges concludes this part of his book. What a pity, I thought, that this man who knows a thousand times more about his subject than I could ever know could not use it to glorify God because he did not know or fear the one about whom he was writing. You get that? That's what it means to fear. It's not that you can't know stuff. It's that you you can't use that information to the end that God intended it, and that is to to glorify him. Okay? So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Number two, what does the fear of the Lord produce? Fearing God prolongs life and brings blessing. It prolongs life and brings blessings. Uh, Just turn the page to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. You're still turning there. I'll wait. Okay, there you are. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. This is an interesting verse. Uh, the word translated along, uh, or excuse me, the word translated along, no, that's not right. What word are we looking at? Prolong, yeah. The word translated prolong here is a causal verb. You say, what does that mean? Uh, it means to add or enhance or increase. The fear of the Lord actually causes an increase in life. We say, well, what does that mean? Does that mean if I fear God, I'm going to live to 95 instead of 65? 
Just don't, don't turn there. Just listen to Psalm 115. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, the small together with the great. So the point of these two texts is that the fear of the Lord prolongs life and brings blessing. You say, well, how does that work? And the answer is we, we don't know how that works. Um, there are missionaries like Jim Elliott who died in his 20s, who great, greatly feared God. So, so this, this gets back to the nature of Proverbs. Remember, Proverbs, when you read a statement, is not a statement that says this is the only word on the subject. Right? If you fear God, you're going to live longer than anybody else. And that's the only thing. Because the Bible has a lot to say about longevity. It has a lot to say about life and the quality of life. So it's not that this is the only thing the Bible teaches, but the general principle is true. The general principle is true. If you fear God, God says, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless you with um, long life and a blessing in that life. Um, so fearing God keeps one away from evil. It restrains one from sin. It compels one to obedience. We know that. Uh, look at this next point here. Um, fearing God keeps one away from evil, restrains from sin, and compels one to obedience. Let's look at this now. Uh, look at uh, Proverbs chapter 16. Just turn the page again to the right to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 6. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 6. By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. We've seen this before already, right? When you fear God, that will protect you from getting in places where you're going to do things that you ought not do. You know, a real practical way would be the fear of the Lord is going to keep you from entertaining financial uh, decisions that are going to be ultimately destructive to you and your family. Because when you fear God, you don't think, well, hey, can I make some money with that deal? When you fear God, you think, how can I honor God with my money? And that keeps you away from danger. It keeps you more at arm's distance. So we're going to le- read later on in the book of Proverbs about the, um, the, uh, the naive young man. You remember that? He's a main character in the book of Proverbs, the naive young man. And he is trying to do what's right, but he goes and he hangs out on the corner where all the prostitutes congregate. And Solomon is going to argue that when you fear God, you're not going to put yourself in a place of unnecessary temptation. Because the fear of the Lord is what helps us uh, keep us away from evil. And we see this illustrated in Exodus uh, uh, or excuse me, in Abraham, or in uh, Genesis chapter 20, with Abraham. Remember Abraham and Abimelech, where he lies about his wife and he says, oh, "She's my sister." Remember that story? Actually, he does it twice. But you remember that? Um, you remember what he says when Abimelech calls him out and says, "Why did you lie to me?" And he said, "Well, I knew that you did not fear God." And because Abraham was going into this pagan country where he knows that the people don't fear God, his conclusion is that they're going to be a wicked people. I mean, can we, can we zoom out? And, and, and we're not talking about, you know, a Christian nation and Christian foundations. We're not talking about that. But if we can zoom out and look at our country and our country's history, our country's history was started with a vast majority of people who feared God. That's historically true. 
um, what has happened in our country as the fear of God has lessened throughout generation, the generations of our history. What has happened? Evil and wickedness has increased. And, and that, that, is, that is evidencing this point, that the fear of God restrains and keeps us away uh, from evil. Uh, notice also uh, on this point, it doesn't just keep away evil, it restrains one from sin. And it compels to obedience. You don't need to turn there. Just listen to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Moses says to the people, Oh, that they would have such a heart in them that they would... Excuse me, this is God uh, speaking through Moses. Okay, so God speaking through Moses. God's talking. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always and that it would be well with them. Uh, he says in chapter 6, verse 1, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and all his commandments. What, what, are, uh, what is God doing in the book of Deuteronomy? Here's what he's saying. He's saying when you fear God, you're going to want to keep his commandments. And when you don't fear God, you're not going to want to keep his commandments. So again, this is a great time to just stop and say, how are we doing with, with the word of God that is revealed to us and the, the, the laws and precepts that it gives? Can we just take a moment and evaluate and say, how are we doing being doers of the word and not just hearers? How are we doing with that? And if as you evaluate your own heart, you say, you know, Honestly, there's some room for improvement. Deuteronomy gives us a strategy. You can say, well, I'm just gonna try, I'm just gonna try to do better. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to, to, to be a better Christian. Well, well, that, that, that's not bad, but it's, it's completely the wrong approach. Because the Bible says what we need is a change in here, and when there's a change on the inside, it results in transformation on the outside. So that, that's what God is getting at here. When you come to fear the Lord in your heart, you're going to want to walk in His ways, and you're going to want to obey His commands. So we, we get a lot of mileage on the fear of the Lord, don't we? This is a, this is a multi-beneficial concept to have. Uh, if there is no fear of God in our life, we are prone to sin, and we are probably going to be hindered in obedience. All right, let's look at our last point here. Fearing God removes a fear of anything else. Um, uh, turn in your Bible with me to Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs 19, let's look at this uh, last point here illustrated for us. The fear of God removes the fear of everything else. Proverbs chapter 19. Okay, while you're turning there, let me read you Psalm 118. Oh, let those who fear the Lord say, His loving kindness is everlasting. From my distress I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. Now listen to this. The Lord is for me. I will not... What do you think goes there? The Lord is for me, so I will not fear. Psalm 56. And this I know... That God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In God, in whom I trust. In God, I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? 
And the Bible says if you trust God, you will not fear things that you ought not fear. That's exactly what we see in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 23. Look at this. Are you there? The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. This is really funny, but but it's absolutely true. Are you struggling to sleep? One of the main things that keeps us from resting and sleeping is what? What, 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 what is spiritually one of the main uh, uh, suspects when we're struggling to sleep? What is it? Worry. Worry. Anxiety. Fear. And the Bible says, do you want to sleep better? Don't go get a Sealy mattress. Learn the fear of the Lord. Because in the fear of the Lord, that leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied. If you fear the Lord, you will develop a quiet soul. And that quiet soul, that, that, that contentedness within, that, that calm spirit, that, that, um, that peace in your heart that says, though there's all this crazy stuff going on around me, I know who the Lord is. I know that he's working and I trust him. So you know what? I'm going to let him deal with all that. I'm going to bed. Um, It's been several years. I don't know if this is true. Brian, maybe you know the answer to this. But anti-anxiety medications were in the top five most prescribed medications in America. And um, I'm not saying there's never a time for medication, but this verse is saying, you know what, maybe that's not the answer, because maybe that's not the real problem. Maybe the real problem is you're experiencing anxiety because you don't have a trust of God in your life. And, and, and you know what, c- c- call me crazy, if you do not know God, and if you do not trust Him, and you are living in, in this crazy, wicked terrible world you ought to be dealing with anxiety that shows you're sane right it's when you don't care that i think we got to worry about you you're not supposed to go through this life separated from god without a relationship with him and be okay your your emotions in that moment are doing what they were designed to do say hey there's something inside here that needs attention And what is that thing? The thing that we need is a growing fear of the Lord. A confidence in Him, a trust in Him, an ability to say, you know what, I am not called to run the universe. God is. Right? Now some of you, if you're honest, you're trying to do that. You're trying to control things that God has not given you the ability to control. And that's why you're anxious. God says, will you trust me with those things? Will you lean on me for those things? Let me deal with it. I can handle it. And the Bible says you'll sleep better when you do. <clears throat> so the precept is this. When you fear God completely, you will not sinfully fear anything or anyone else. That's the precept. Um, there's another proverb, we'll look at it when we get there, that says... Um, The fear of man leads to a snare. 
I won't ask for a show of hands of the people that struggle with people-pleasing and codependency and things of that nature in here where you are trying... You are trying to get people to like you and be okay with you and to be satisfied with you. And, you know, that, that, that's a dead-end road. That's a destructive road to be on. And the end of that road is to learn to fear God more than you fear people. Okay, now, last question. How can the fear of the Lord be learned? If you are convinced that the fear of the Lord is something that you ought to be exercising, how do you learn that? How do you grow How can we develop this? Well, number one, we need to understand, first of all, that the fear of the Lord can be learned and it should be taught. It can be learned and it should be taught. Um, For sake of time, I'm just going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. You don't need to turn there um, just for sake of time. I will read it to you. But listen again to Deuteronomy as Moses is unfolding uh, the instructions to these Uh, the new generation of Israelites getting ready to go into the promised land. He says this, chapter 4, verse 10, Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people to me, now listen, that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days of their life on earth. So Moses says to the people, You remember when God got you together? And he revealed himself to you? You know what his point was, his goal was? So that you would learn to fear him. You would learn to trust him and honor him and rely on him. And the point is, uh, you know, you don't, you're not born with the fear of the Lord. It's not a particular spiritual gift that some Christians have and others don't. You learn it. You learn it. It can be learned and it should be taught. I mean, this is, um, you know, we, we usually think that in parenting, the most important thing we need to teach children is to obey. And, and that, there's a good argument for that because that's what Ephesians 6 verses 1 to 3 says. But even more important than teaching children to obey is teaching them why they ought to obey and ultimately whom they are called to obey. And that is they need to come to know the fear of the Lord that, that they shouldn't do, uh, they should not lie to people or steal from their siblings or react in anger in a unjust situation, not just because mom and dad say it, but because God says it. I mean, isn't that what we want? We we don't want our kids to grow up and as soon as they leave our jurisdiction, they resort to doing whatever they want to do. We want them to grow up so that when they leave, they're thinking about living quorum Dao in the the face of God, living before him every day and living in light of his words and in light of his commands and therefore wanting to honor and please him in all things. Number two, recognize that the fear of God, learning the fear of God is actually a command. Look at Proverbs chapter 23 if you're there. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17. This this is not an optional endeavor. Proverbs 23, 17 says this, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. That's not optional or a suggestion. God is saying you need to do this. Joshua 24 says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth. Psalm 34 says, Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for to those who fear Him there is no want. Well, that's a great reminder, isn't it? If you fear God, you're never going to lack anything that you need because God will supply those things to you. So fearing God is not an option. Here's another one, and this is going to maybe 
take some people back. Realize that the fear of the Lord requires the Holy Spirit. You, you know this text, so you don't need to turn there. In Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah is talking about the shoot that comes from Jesse. Do you remember that? The shoot that comes from Jesse. It's a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And listen to what Isaiah says prophesying about the coming Messiah. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength. Listen to this. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And that puts together theologically something that Solomon didn't fully understand in his time. You say, what's that? That the fear of the Lord is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. In other words, you need the Holy Spirit to develop this fear of the Lord. That's, that's where that impulse to walk in a way that honors God, that's where that comes from. It comes from the, the Holy Spirit himself. And you know what that reminds us? You cannot properly fear God if you are not a Christian. You will not have the resources in here to do and live the way Solomon is describing if the Holy Spirit is not inside of you giving you that capability and encouraging you and giving you the resources you need to fear God. In, in fact, the Bible says... Um, if you're walking in the flesh as a lifestyle, meaning you, you, you don't have the Holy Spirit and you don't know God. That's why Romans says the characteristic mark of the non-Christian is that there is no fear of God before his eyes. That's the marker. Okay. So how do we learn to fear God? Please take your Bible and turn with me to Deuteronomy and let's land the plane here by looking at how do we actually do this? How do we actually learn to fear God? Because that's where we want to land, right? How do we actually learn to fear God? Well, Deuteronomy lays it out for us. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 10. As you're turning there, remember Deuteronomy is Moses' last sermon. Uh, the... Uh, Stubborn, disobedient generation of Israelites has died in the wilderness. Their kids and their grandkids are grown, and they're approaching the promised land. Moses is going to go up on, on, uh, on the mountain, and he's going to look over the Jordan River. He's going to see the land of Canaan, the promised land, and then he's going to die. And this is his last charge, his last sermon to the nation of Israel before he dies. Listen to what he says. And I think in this text... Moses gives us a three-step process for learning how to fear God. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 31, let's start in verse 10. Then Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of remission of debts and the feast of booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God, at the place which he will choose, you shall read this law in front of all Israel in their hearing. So you guys understand that. They had, the Jewish uh, nation had these holidays, and the feast of booths was one of them. He says, okay, here's what you're going to do on that holiday. On the Feast of Booths, you're going to get everybody together, and you're going to get up, and what are you going to do? You're going to read the Law of Moses. You're going to read all of the instructions of God. Now, why are we going to do that? Look back at the text. Assemble the people, the men and the women and children. Got to have the kids there too. And even the alien who is in your town. Uh, that, that's not E.T. That's like a relative from another country, okay, coming in. The relatives staying with you, 
and let them hear the word of the Lord spoken. Why? Look at this. So that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God and be careful to observe all the words of his law. Did you get it? You have to hear God's word. You have to learn it. And then you will develop and cultivate the fear of God by walking or observing his words. So hear, learn, and obey is the way that you learn the fear of the Lord. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4 says the same thing. It shall be with him that he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of his law and these statutes. And this is where, if you're a parent, this is so important. Because the training of our children to hear and learn and obey God's word, not because we say it, but because God says it, that trains them to learn in to live in light of God who presides over them. So that's how we, that's how we learn the fear of God. So we hear, we learn, and we're careful to observe. Okay? Now, you, you, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Keith, th- this sounds like the message where you talk about how we need to be reading our Bibles more. And we need to be learning what it says. And we need to be putting it to practice in life. And that is absolutely true. You know, there, there is no secret to the fear of the Lord beyond things we already know. To be in the Word of God, to be learning it, and to be practicing it. Do not cultivate contentment with learning God's Word and not practicing it. In fact, that's the opposite of learning to fear the Lord. When we learn it and we don't obey it, that creates separation in our heart that pushes us away from this fear of the Lord. So hear, learn, and be careful to observe. And as we do that, we will grow into the fear of the Lord. Okay? Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for time in your word today. And uh, we pray that as we hear and learn and obey your word, that you would build into us a growing fear of the Lord, that we would uh, grow in our, in our worship and our love and our trust, and that as we see as the theme of this book, Uh, There are multiplied benefits for the man or the woman or the young man or the young woman that walks in the fear of the Lord and walks in his ways. So, Father, we pray for our children. We pray for our grandchildren, for some of us, our great-grandchildren, and for us ourselves, that we would walk in the fear of the Lord and we would desire to honor and please you in all that we say and do. In Christ's name, amen.